ladies and gentlemen, from our underground bunkers in Chicago, New Brunswick, and North Carolina, as the executive producer, I welcome you, Cuball Carmichael, Johnny Stewart, the host of Truth Busters. I know one thing about our inaugural show here that uh, we are doing. We literally have the uh, the greatest producer uh, on the internet today. And Nick London, if I don't tell you, in the future, you've been just incredible in the couple of weeks leading up to us, working out all the glitches and all of the kinks uh, for what we hope is going to be a, a revolutionary pod- podcast, especially a podcast that will illuminate a lot of people and alleviate a lot of frustration out there. Okay, let's get to it. My name is Johnny Stewart. I'm former professional wrestler, businessman from Chicago, recently ran for governor on the Libertarian Party in 2018, and with me today and will be uh, as my uh, co-host, and he is the, without a doubt, the captain of this whole crazy ship, uh, Q-Ball Carmichael, former pro wrestler businessman, stockbroker, police officer, and um, I tell you, one of the best reality show writing partners that you could find uh, in all of Hollywood and the entertainment industry. So welcome, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the initial broadcast of the Truth Busters. Q-Ball, what say you? John, you know, I got to tell you, the theme music alone made me stand up and salute the flag that hangs in the corner of my bedroom. I would have went outside to the big American flag, but it's a little bit chilly and raining tonight. But you know, I'm super excited about <laughs> I'm super excited about the show, as you can see by the photo that I sent you before we started. I'm just absolutely excited. I'm sitting yeah. bedside doing the broadcast with my brand new Glock Gen five model forty five nine millimeter pistol close by, of course, as always. And uh, you know, I'm excited. And uh, thanks for the great introduction. You forgot e-commerce entrepreneur, but that's okay. Uh, I'll let you slide this time. And uh, for those of you who don't know, John and I have had Well, I said I did say businessman. Yeah, he did. So that covers it. So anyway, John and I have been business partners going back about six or seven years. And we wrote a uh, – our first one that we wrote together was our title, Wrestling Rescue, Fixing Independent Promotions. And it was optioned and a sizzle reel was shot, basically a pilot uh, for uh, TV by a three-time Emmy-winning producer, Adam Wakenfeld, who shoots all the U.S. Army commercials and has had the number one show on HGTV. And he's actually partnered with us, I think, now on our third project uh, that he just optioned about six or eight months ago, um, which sort of kind of – what we found is dealing with Hollywood and no disrespect to him, but we come to him with an idea that is a vision in our heads. And John and I think exactly alike on most everything. And the vision is distorted by people in Hollywood to what their vision is, which doesn't match up. So the finally what we decided to do is to come up with a podcast that would deliver our vision to the listeners here and eventually with a lot of YouTube content, too, uh, so they can take the road trip down how our twisted brains intertwine and work together to discuss everything from, you know, international conspiracies to Bigfoot. And and we're going to go through that stuff in the show. And I'm really excited because it's nice to have a guy. Nick and I think the same with a common brain on a wrestling podcast. John would be great to be on there. And I can tell you that on this podcast, I know that John and I are going to take people down trips where they're going to sit there at the end of the show, scratch their head and say, OMG, I never thought of it that way. And it's going to change people's perspectives on a lot of different things. Um, And it's going to be interactive. And I just couldn't be excited. And, you know, finally, we actually have a project where we can work together every week on it and put it out there. And I just think the show is going to be incredible. We do have a great producer. Um, I couldn't ask for a better co-host or a better friend than John. And so we're really looking forward to delivering the public some interesting look at things that they've only taken a glance at. 
Right. Well, Q, you know, I, I, I know what I uh, would like to to produce uh, out of this show, the results, which I will uh, say after I, I give you the floor. What exactly do you think or what exactly are your thoughts or your hopes without sounding ham-handed? What, what is exactly you want to get out of this as far as for the listener uh, as the weeks progress on? And we deal with topics that um, are very sensitive, uh, are very touchy, anything from religion to 9-11 to, you know, people that got screwed on buying a car and what's the best, you know, oil to use in cooking and what's good for your kidneys, what's good for your liver, <laughs> you know, how do you lift weights and, and is there really ghosts and what about the afterlife? What, what, what are you trying to uh, to get out of this show for the listener. I'd like the listener to take a different look at things from a different perspective. See, the situation is with most people, they get their information from a media source, whether that be network news, CNN, uh, local paper, online. And what they don't realize is, especially when it comes to international things and government things and there are things that the government don't want people to know so they feed the press the story they want the press to put out there because people believe if i read it in the newspaper if i read it online if i saw it on the news it must be the truth and what they do is they accept that as the truth so the title of the show truth busters is really going to bust through the truth that is fed to people in a pre-programmed format to get them to, to think a, a single way. So what we're going to do on everything you, every topic you discuss is we're going to actually throw information to people that takes a lot of research to find. And what I want the listener to do at the end is to scratch their head and say, wow, that's the truth. I'll give you a little small example. The Roswell, New Mexico case, we all know about that. We all know that people saw a UFO crash. People had partial UFO. The government cover-up was they fed to the newspaper that it was a weather balloon. And everybody believed it was a weather balloon, believed no different until people at the scene later on in life started to talk. People that were in on Area 51 started to come out and started to talk and then all of a sudden the truth the alleged truth was busted and that's what we're going to do we're going to bust the simple truths that are not the actual truth and give people a different perspective a reality perspective of what is actually going on or actually happened and how it's been distorted by mainstream media and that to me is the goal. And as you said, something as simple as what's healthy for you here, what's healthy there. Give you an idea. If you have any prostate troubles here in the United States, a doctor will prescribe you a drug called Finistride. Finistride is actually a steroid. It doesn't produce muscular gains, but what it does is it shrinks the prostate. However, in Europe, they prescribe soft palmetto, which you can buy at your local drugstore over the counter. That's what they use throughout Europe. The problem with using it here is pharmaceutical companies and doctors haven't figured out a way to market soft palmetto and make any money on it. And the government's not going to get a kickback from Nature Made for a political campaign. However, SmithKline, Beecham, Glaxo, all these pharmaceutical companies who come out with these other drugs that will solve the same problem and they make millions and millions on it, they'll contribute and they'll go send their executives to the $1,000 plate or $5,000 plate uh, dinner for a politician who's running for some form of office. And so this is going to give a different perspective on how things are treated in different areas of the country, how things are seen, and what the real truth is. So truth busters is really busting the falsehoods that have been fed to people through media, through government, through agencies, through pharmacies, through all these million-dollar corporations 
and we're going to break that down, and we're going to actually give people the real truth. That's, that's so, well said, and but, I, um, yeah, I, could not agree, listeners, I could not agree with I you more. The, I want the listeners to scratch their head and go, damn, at the end of the show. Right. I, uh, if, if I can pontificate on this, because this was, you know, I, I, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this with you uh, so I can explain to, to the listeners is that you, you are a critic and a cynic, but you are a healthy critic. You are a healthy cynic. You, you know, you, you don't go to a, the, the 50 subjects or more that I have talked about with you in, in passing or in serious conversation or over a cup of coffee uh, in, 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 a, in a hotel cafe, you know, you, you don't Im- immediately dissuade anything. You, you sit there, you listen, you digest, you put it through your, your processes as a man that's been living a heck of a long time. Uh, uh, and, and it's the experience I think that both of us have to weed through and navigate the landmines of of bullshit, of of propaganda, like you said, uh, Congress letting something pass or or perpetuate because it fills the campaign coffers. So you know that for me, that that is I wanted everyone to know. That is the one of the, the main reasons why I was so excited and, and readily wanting to do this with someone like you, um, because you are a healthy uh, opinion because you are a healthy skeptic. And you might not know the answer, but you're not ever, as far as I've known you, you've never once just jumped out, given an immediate opinion, and your mind's closed. So. I think that's really important, and I think that's going to be crucial for the success of this show. As far as I, as I, my frustration goes, you know, I've been watching documentaries for 30 years and listening to podcasts and going to the movies or, you know, being on YouTube and and, and vetting and watching and disseminating a podcast, documentaries, film footage of, of, from everything. Um, in, in regards to conspiracy, cryptozoology, current current topics, politics, uh, international conspiracies, you name it. And one of the frustrations that I have had that I hope this show alleviates is where the documentary, just no matter how much research, how many producers, so many documentaries stop short of pushing the topic over the cliff or pushing it out of the atmosphere. You know, I, how many times do I scream at a television program as the credits are rolling? Or how many times do I say, why did they not interview this person? How could they not know about this topic? How can they not have known that there's now this film footage that shows X, Y, and Z? And uh, Chris, you being a former stockbroker, I, I think you, of anybody, can attest to the fact that what I, what I will hope for this show is that we have a continual pipeline for the call-in viewers or uh, our, our producer, Nick London, answering, you know, questions after the show or, 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 or compiling questions after the show of something that we may have missed where we can immediately address it the next show. That, to me, I think um, would alleviate that, that frustration that a lot of people have. Another thing that I, I, I hope to do, especially as my part of the show, is whatever guests that we have on is that we make it timely, we make it quick, it's rapid fire, it's interesting for the listener. Uh, Q, I don't know about you, but I've listened to podcasts where I go get a cup of coffee and make myself a sandwich and come back and, you know, the guest is still pontificating <laughs> on the same, you know, line of thinking and, you know, <laughs> the hosts are just sitting there and, Everybody's drawing on, and I know we're pontificating now because it's our first show, but I hope that we can actively engage with our hosts and with each other and, 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 and make it more 
of a uh, a rapid fire, quick, um, uh, spontaneous, and and uh, more tight of a production than I think most podcasts um, that are out there. So so those are my hopes, and I I, I want to be open to the viewers and into the into the listeners, and and in Q, you could take it from uh, here. What I'm about to say is. You know, it's you and I and the listeners working together to solve something or to get the, to the further truth. So I, I'd like to tell the listeners that some of our topics might take two or three weeks to fully develop onto other shows and other programs. So I, we encourage people to call in. And um, uh, when Nick London, our producer, uh, gets, uh, you know, or if he does, or if he can share it, share his email so that. Anybody that has any more information on what we're talking about, we can then respond on the following show. And that's what I hope to do. <laughs> no, absolutely it is. Um, you know, I just really quickly want to tell you guys that you guys do a phenomenal job, and I'm really, really excited about this. I wasn't going to say anything. I was really sitting back listening, but I felt the need to just kind of step up. As the producer of the show, you guys were saying about how great I was, but the truth is I want to say congratulations to both of you for – coming out and, and being willing to try this and put out the truth busters. And I just really want to say thank you. So that's all I really want to do. Uh, thank you to you, John. Thank you to you, Q-Ball. And uh, yeah, I'm going to step back, but I just felt the need to tell you guys that I'm thankful for this episode. Thankful for the future of this show. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that, Nick, coming well, thank, from you. Well, thank you, Nick. Yeah. You know, you know, one of the things so I've So, Q, you want to take it from here, or what are, what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah, I just want to say, you know, we've often talked, and I have mentioned us taking a trip, the same trip, the same route, several times. And I've said, you and I should get in a car in Chicago, and we should take old Route 66 all the way to Santa Monica Boulevard, Santa Monica Pier. And one of the reasons why I said that is not only would it be filled with humor, but there would be these deep, long conversations about things that we talk about that we plan to talk about on the show. And I just wanted to tell you that, John, I saw two of the greatest documentary shows in the past couple of weeks. And I'm going to give them a little bit of a plug here. One is brand new. It started yesterday. It's called Up and Vanished. And it's, it's, it's Payne Lindsay's show. Um, I recorded it and watched it. And he went to, years ago, you may remember in Iowa, there was a, I guess it was going back to 1995, there was a news lady, uh, Jody Tr- Tr- Trusenhut, that disappeared completely off the face of the planet. And this documentary, I remember that. Yeah, that documentary crew up and vanished, went in there, and within being in there for the week or whatever it takes them to do the hour long documentary, they uncovered a brand new suspect with the vehicle matching setting in her parking lot at 10 or 4 a.m. in the morning on the day that she was abducted. An FBI profiler came in and watched the video of her birthday party the night before, or a couple days before. The guy who filmed it at her over the night she disappeared to watch it, and they showed him looking at her with other guys with laser vision. He wanted a relationship. She didn't. So they came up with him, and originally, because it was a white man that was last seen, they were talking about this other guy who lived in her apartment complex had a white van. Come to find out, the guy who moved to Arizona, the guy that's been gone for all these years that that took off, that they first suspected, he also had a white van. It was a work van. So now they're putting the dots together, and it looks like that maybe within the next four or five months, after 25 years, 
it was going to be an indictment handed down. And I thought that was just fantastic. It's called Up and Vanished. Of course, it started as a podcast about four or five years ago. And, it, you know, I, I think I told you the numbers. It had 950 million views at one point. One of them did. So, I mean, just crazy. Wow. And then there's another one wow. with J.J. JJ Kelly, a film producer, and uh, King of Phillips. And it's called Lost in the Wild. And this crew does the same thing. They go to places where people were last seen, and they ask the tough questions to people. They're not afraid to go knock on a door in the middle of a secluded island where there's only local people who don't like to talk to anybody with a camera and get the answers. But I got to tell you, Up and Vanished was really motivating for me uh, because it's a genuine documentary that goes after people with the hard questions. And that's what we're going to do when we have guests on here. Yeah, we're going to be polite, but we're going to come at them with the hard questions. Neither one of us is afraid to ask those. And it's the questions that you've never seen the press ask because typically, and I know from whenever I've done, I've done a lot of radio shows, I've done some TV shows, and the first thing I get asked by a producer is, is there anything that's off limits? And if it's off limits, you're not going to discuss it. Well, we're not going to have that clause in what we do. Whoever we have on the show, we're going to ask the hard and the difficult questions. And I think that's one of the things that's going to set us apart and make us different, too. But, again, you know, I'm excited about it. That trip down Route 66, this is really that show on a podcast format where we're going to get time together uh, to discuss the things that we have talked about numerous times, both in person and on the phone. And, and, you know, things that you and I have both got incredibly fired up over things that we have seen put in the press that with our research we find out are completely incorrect. And we just wanted to scream out to the world and say, no, don't listen to what they're telling you. They're feeding you a line. They're giving you their truth, not the truth. And so this is going to give us a chance to be able to do that. And I think that's really the thing for us um, that's going to propel this show really to a lot of followers, a lot of subscribers. So I'm I'm super pumped about it. I couldn't be more excited about it. So with that, I will let the illustrious one, John Stewart, lead into one of our topics for the night. And if you uh, ever followed pro wrestling in the 90s, or especially in the late, mid to late 80s, illustrious Johnny Stewart was one of those super colorful characters that played the rich kid brat to a T. And it's just, it's a, it's amazing how well you played that. I was watching some videos and I had, you know, what people don't realize is for us guys in wrestling, when you watch eighties wrestling in the eighties, you could learn something. When you watch nineties wrestling all yeah. through the, even through the attitude era, you could learn something. Then something changed that you don't want to watch anything on TV to learn. But for many years, wrestlers, if they were home, oftentimes would put on a wrestling show and watch something and understand psychologically what that wrestler was doing either in that promo or in that ring and could actually pick up tips and use that in their career. So, you know, anybody who's watched the the AWA when it was huge, you were there at at its peak, at its uh, apex, and uh, were a big star there. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that's a very cool aspect of your life. And, of course, a great business person uh, besides that. And uh, so why don't we roll into what one of the things that you want to talk about tonight? So I know you had a couple of things, and you are truly the host. I am the co-host. So roll away. <laughs> oh, I, I've all of a sudden become the captain. Huh? You're the first officer? <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. That's good. Okay. Well, I, before we get into our two topics, I just wanted to say just two very quick more things. Is that um, uh, well? Actually, one more one, one important thing that I think is uh, is a little bit of a teaser, but I, I feel that uh, this could be the the hook where people want to continue to listen every week. I was and Q. I did not even talk to you about this. I was talking to a law enforcement individual 
a couple of days ago about what we were going to do. And um, he has actually uh, uh, done a lot of stuff with task force that involved the FBI and, and, the, uh, and, and the U.S. attorney uh, for the United States, obviously. And he, he made one comment that I thought was really interesting that I'm excited for. I think it's titillating for the, for the listeners. He said eventually a show like this, if we are as honest as we are portraying that we will be, and if we are not honest as far as, as that seems on, on, you know, on paper, but honest as far as giving an honest shot to these topics, he said eventually we will get a caller that is a whistleblower, a, uh, a insider, a leaker. And so I never thought about that, that, you know, if we come across um, and remain true to our word, that, that we might eventually get something, a breaking story or somebody willing to go covertly on the record and give us, you know, some information that maybe no one else has or, or will have. So I think that's something to really look forward to in our, in our shows coming up. So I forgot to tell you about that. Yeah, well, you know what? That's phenomenal because I have scheduled as one of our first guests a person who must remain anonymous, who has had Q-level security clearance, which is as high as it goes, and worked in a nuclear facility and has details about uh, nuclear weapons, control of those weapons, and the ability of some of these weapons to be manufactured in such a simple way that if it got out, it could cause world panic. And he has agreed to come on the show anonymously um, when we first start hosting guests in a couple of weeks here. So that's going to be extremely excited because he bent my ear wow. for two straight hours, and I was sitting there dumbfounded with my chin on the ground. So can wow. it be? It's going to be that, pretty just gave, You gave me goosebumps. Oh, brother, let me tell you something. The stuff he told me made me rethink my entire existence on this planet and how fragile that it actually is. It's going to blow your mind. Well, you know what? I'm going to be a really good co-host with you because that is good. That, that actually leads me right in to one of our first topics we want to talk about. And I will jump to, I think one of the things you're, 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 you're talking about so one of the things we wanted to discuss tonight was the coronavirus. And, again, how if, if what is out there, and not from the government and the media, but what is out there from the, the leakers and the whistleblowers on Twitter and on YouTube that are braving the socialist uh, Mao-style government in China and posting these videos, I personally am very worried. Um, I'll get into some things about the virus that I have have uncovered. One of the scariest things, Q, that I have heard over the week is that this virus starts to uh, become a global wildfire pandemic in countries that operate nuclear reactors. Um, One of the things that happens in a pandemic is your, 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 your frontline providers, meaning your police, your doctors, um, the workers that work and operate nuclear power plants stop showing up for work, and who can blame them? And one of the, one of the stories that I read, um, which ties in right to your mystery guest in a couple of weeks, Q, is that, you know, if this should unleash in France, Britain, America, um, where people are terrified to leave their homes and go to work, I guess if you're a car salesman or you're a shoe salesman or you, you know, you make stickers for NASCAR race cars, showing up to it, not showing up to work is not going to be a big deal. It's, it's not going to be detrimental in the short term or even long term. But if you operate a nuclear power plant, you provide security for a nuclear power plant, um, those plants and, and Q maybe illuminated to you. You could step in when I'm done. 
those power plants have only a week's worth of diesel in reserve to keep them running if the power should go off. And something we'll talk about in weeks from now is, you know, a CMD, a coronal mass ejection, or a CMD device where they, uh, a rogue state detonates a nuclear device over the, the central part of the United States in the atmosphere, and it fries all the circuitry. Um, the scariest part about that is the nuclear reactors, after a week, start melting down. And you're going to have in America 5 to 15 to 20 Chernobyl all across the country. And that, to me, is personally terrifying because, you know, the nuclear radiation that would be emitted like in Fukushima, is you can't see it, you can't smell it, you can't taste it. All of a sudden, you look at your wife three weeks from now, and her hair's falling out like she's a Halloween, you know, like she's going to a Halloween costume party as a ghoul. And and uh, Chris, did did your guy say anything about that as far as the nuclear reactors that you can maybe share with us? Um, at, at this point, I know what I heard, but after I heard it, digesting it in bits and pieces, it's not going to be in correct order. So I'm going to wait for him to come on and talk about it. But I can tell you that I can guarantee you this, that you're exactly right. If they quit showing up for work or if somebody went rogue and locked down the facility and staved off anybody coming in with the threat of pushing a button, all he's got to do is wait seven days. And on the eighth day, there's a nuclear reactor meltdown. And like you said, there's Hiroshima-level bombs times 50 going off all over the United States. And what people don't realize is there are nuclear facilities in your backyard that you don't even know about. As a police officer, when we pull somebody over and we run their ID and they are on the Homeland Security watch list and they're anywhere near a nuclear facility, it's scary for us, but we have to report it without them knowing that we're reporting them and letting, without us letting them know we're, they're on the watch list with us not being able allowed to follow those people to make sure they're not going anywhere to a dangerous area is amazing. And I can tell you right now, the amount of people that get stopped in every state that are on the Homeland Security watch list is astounding. You're talking, are you sitting down? You're talking over a million people yeah. in the United States right now. Over a well, let's let's talk United about States. that because, you know, this is the, yeah, well, this is exactly what I want this show to be. So instead of jumping to the coronavirus, let's stay on this topic for a couple of seconds because this is something that would happen where I throw a cup of coffee at the TV. If Chris, am I, if you all, am I, am I freaking crazy? We have nuclear reactors that only have a week's worth of fuel to stay running what what rabbit hole has this world gone down where something that can destroy the planet has only a week's worth of time to solve whatever catastrophe is has been for a force or a uh, forced onto this nuclear reactor that actually it, it, forgive me if i'm digesting this mentally well, that, I can. We, we, we I only can have a, like, like. Wouldn't there be a pipeline? Go ahead. Go ahead. Here's the thing. Here, here's the scary thing. You know, the hurricane last year, Florence, was extremely bad for North Carolina. I believe I sent you pictures of my town. It was completely underwater. You couldn't get out. All of a sudden, we had beachfront property. It was insane. What was more insane is within 60 miles of here, without giving the location. And the worst area hit the hardest was a nuclear facility. This nuclear facility was in an area where the military had to be activated and deployed. The National Guard was everywhere. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. The, new, the National Guard was everywhere. But when you see an Army 
refueler truck, which you never see, but I know what they look like. When you see 16 of those headed in the direction, and these are massive trucks that can roll through 8 to 10 feet of water, and they're headed to the direction of the nuclear facility, and all the roads that are closed that have the, 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 you know, the guardrails up and everything, and there's uh, uh, National Guard with M-18s and stuff standing out there, M-17s, and you see them see the truck and just open the gate and let 11 or 12 or 15 of these trucks roll through in a direction of an area that has been completely shut down, has zero access, but they're rolling in. You tell me why they're rolling in the direction of this facility. There's only one answer. They have to, to, fuel, to put diesel fuel into the nuclear reactor to keep it so running. The gener- so the generator will run the plant because there, has, there wasn't electricity in that particular area for 16 days. So you think for a minute, this massive natural disaster was so close to being impenetrable, even by these vehicles, that we were close to having a nuclear situation in North Carolina alone due to this massive hurricane that just stopped and dumped 28 inches of rain on this area. And they went through roads that I didn't think they could get through, but apparently when you have to get through it, you'll send the right vehicle that will get through it. For somebody in the know, for somebody in the know like me to see that happen was like, oh, my gosh. I know where they're going, and I know why they got to go there. And if for some reason it is so bad that they get washed away and don't get there, we might want, and we can't load up the car with our family because we can't get out of the town we're in. I couldn't get to work for three days. Once I got there, an 18-mile drive to my police department I was working at, it took me 113 miles to get there, going around a roundabout way so I could actually get there after day three, and then I was stuck there for five more days. What if these trucks couldn't get through? Well, that, that, that is the whole, this is, and again, this is the whole premise of the show. We've locked on a subject. We're not going to get off like, we're going to bite down like pit bulls. This is freaking, this, this is making me absolutely freaking livid. We have the Nuclear Regulatory Committee uh, and, and agency in the United States government. We know that there are disasters that can happen. The whole freaking point of a disaster hitting a certain nuclear facility is that you might not be able to get trucks to come in with, with diesel fuel. You might not have people showing up for freaking work. Why in the hell has the United States government not spent millions, if not billions of dollars to automatically feed these generators via some sort of underground pipeline with diesel fuel that's connected to a tank that could let this this generator cooling down the reactor run for months, if not years. I I I, I cannot believe that uh, that you Cuba as a congressman going to work every day on on on, on Pennsylvania Avenue, and and this is the premise of our society that that my family, my children, my neighbors have a freaking week. To figure, or my government has a week to figure out some kind of cataclysmic situation to get around it, to get a, to, to step over it, to fix it. And if not, my wife's hair is going to freaking fall out, and my kids are going to be in plastic coffins uh, by the CDC within a month. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're worried about impeaching Trump and renaming fucking post offices. And, 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 and this is my life, that the nuclear plant that's 15 miles from my home has a week, has a week of, that if somebody can't get through, if Lake Michigan floods over uh, a section of Illinois, I guess I'm dead after eight days. I, I, I mean, it's just, it, it, it is just, it is textbook 
It is it is textbook what the frick is wrong with the United States government. The priority structure of this government, of this country, is absolutely, totally, totally freaking upside down. Well, it gets worse. Recently, during how does it get worse? Recently, during a natural catastrophe, the manufacturer of seventy-five percent of the world's nuclear reactors that has a control button to deactivate or activate every single one of them was also in peril and also needed the same trucks to get there to fuel it. If that went down, it would have triggered 75% of the world's nuclear reactors to go down at the same time. There would have been total devastation worldwide. My my hand is shaking. Tell me. Tell me, my my co-pilot. Why is this? Why, why, why is there people in Congress that that feel it's okay to have only a week's week's worth of wiggle room to fix the problem of a catastrophe in a nuclear reactor? Can you? I don't know. My hand is shaking. I, well, I, I can, I'm freaking I can tell you why. Thinking about this, I can tell you why. Half of the nation's politicians were trying to get a president impeached for no reason, and the other half was trying to avoid the impeachment. And so why would they think about something as small as that? On top of that, let's face facts, okay? 75% of the politicians in office, and, and, and I'm being generous at 75, it's probably higher, are in office for one reason, and that is to become wealthy. That's why they're there. We know about the pension plan after one term. There's nowhere in the United States of America you can work for four six or eight years and leave and get a full pension. The same people that were not obliged, forced, fined, or charged to adhere to the Obamacare Health Care Act that were allowed to not take part in it, were allowed to avoid it, were allowed to have separate different benefits that were better for less are running the country. Tell me What's wrong with that? I know a young man, 25 years old, who struggled with work. He works with his hands. He's not a high school graduate. He's a fine young man. And two years ago, he received a $1,700 fine for not having health insurance. Tell me how that helped him get further ahead in life. That was the money he planned on spending to go to a certified welding class so he could make a decent living for his family. But no, he had to pay a fine to the U.S. government because he couldn't afford to have health care or none of the places that he worked that were under the table of payees could supply any type of health care for him. It's the world is, the paradigm has switched. You know, the, the, tw- the 10% run the 90% or the eight, or 20% run the 80%, whatever rule you want to apply to, I used to live the 80-20, but it's turned to 90-10. You know, 10% of the people get 90% of the money, and right. 90% of the people get the other 10% of the money. The problem is, is that 10% is telling the 90% what to do. And every time there's a hike in fuel prices or there's a hike in, in cost of goods, but yet the, the, the minimum wage doesn't go up. You know, there's there's another switch in the paradigm. There's another sector of people that are going to live lower to middle class or under the poverty line in the United States of America. That's the problem. That's the issue is that 10% is focused on, number one, most of that 10% has access to a nuclear safe facility where they could wait it out or live for years and not have a problem where the rest of us would perish. So they don't care about that. I mean, we know what's underneath the Denver airport. We're not stupid. That's another show. That's another story for another show. But we know where these facilities exist right outside of Washington, D.C. Yeah, absolutely. So what do they care if that happens? They're not going to be affected that much. You know, if anything, they're going to survive.
survive and be richer than they are now. It, it, the government has always been on that program. It was on that program in the 1800s when it put a bounty on the buffalo that roamed the plains in the Midwest so that they could get a $25 bounty for each head of a buffalo, only to let the meat rot. And so the Indians had nothing to, to feed their families on and were forced to come to the government and say, help us. And they created reservations, and they took these people and took all their thousands and millions of acres of land and put them on a few hundred acres and said, here you are, here's paradise. Welcome to the uh, American Indian Reservation, also known as the Horrible Experience Express Inn. You know, I mean, this goes back a long way. The government has, has been on a program to increase power for them, reduce power for us, and give them benefits to be able to be wealthy. I mean, it's just incredible. They're not going to care about if 75% of the world, the, the country's wiped out. They'll just have more land that they own. The whole thing well, I just, is just it, 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 it befuddles me that, yeah, it befuddles me that members of the United States Congress have, are taking such a chance with the nuclear uh, pro, pro, pro I, I can't even say the word, with the nuclear contamination of large swaths of our country, uh, you know, even what I said about the, the uh, a mass, coronal mass ejection uh, of gamma rays from the sun, which happens uh, more frequently than you think that could fry our, our electronic infrastructure, it would be like they said $12 billion to harden all of the electronic infrastructure for the United States. And what do we do? We build another aircraft, aircraft carrier because 14 aircraft carrier groups aren't enough. We need another one. It's, I, I, I really, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm speechless for words. I, I, um, it's, you can it's, bring, you can you know, bring 90, but, but I know 90, this is what this show is about. You could bring 90% of the nation's legislature and Congress up on charges of misappropriation of funds. You really could because it's totally what they do on a daily Amen. basis. There is, there are kids in the United States of America who get one meal a day when they're in school and that's their lunch. And the government wants to send $200 million to a foreign country for aid for their government or spend a hundred billion dollars to install a government in Afghanistan that we approve of and control. But we'll let kids go hungry here because that doesn't affect us. They don't get any press because they're poor. Q, I have said, yeah, I have, I said it over and over and over again when I ran for governor and when I ran for Congress and I'm not pontificating here, but it is the truth. I'm a libertarian. I don't believe in Bernie Sanders and socialism. However, and I, I want the viewers, the listeners to hear me clearly. However, how in the hell can I go to a 20-year-old college student that's $100,000 in debt, going to a, a, a liberal arts college at $50,000 a year, how do I go to a black single mother in Inglewood in Chicago and tell her we don't have money to help you with daycare to feed to help you get a, a, a breakfast or lunch in, in your ch- your child's belly and yet we have the money for a five billion dollar B1 bomber to sit on a cement tarmac in the middle of Kansas under the hot sun I, I, you, you could say whatever you want about Bernie Sanders but he makes that point rather eloquently that you can't spoon feed that load of shit and that lack of priority to American people that are struggling, like you said, that are that are literally hungry. And, and we're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to countries. It was said in the newspaper three days ago. Uh, I, I, and I don't know his name. Forgive me. He was a diplomat. We're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to countries. So they don't attack us. I mean, that's, that was a diplomat of the United States yeah. government admitting yeah. we're paying bullies. Yeah. We're paying bullies to not attack us. God forbid 
the black kid in Inglewood or Detroit that I saw when I, when I wrestled there in the 90s, literally sleeping on the sidewalk. Uh, God forbid we should help give a helping hand to the poor, uh, to, to minorities. And I'm not on a campaign commercial here. No, we, we want to give hundreds of millions of dollars to countries that despise us and build more freaking weapon systems that sit in a tarmac, a bunker, or under a, under a bunker in some godforsaken mountain across America. And that, to me, is utter, absolute bullshit. And you throw on top of that the fact that the people in the United States military that are employed to operate these facilities when they get out of the military, they're going to go into that statistic that 13 U.S. veterans or former veterans each day commit suicide. 13. Every single day of the week, all year long, every year, because the government uses them and disposes of them. They take a 20-year-old kid. Well, wait a minute. We don't have that down. Great, Chris. Cute. Yeah. Dude, we don't have that down as a topic in the future. Wait a minute. I want you to elaborate. I'm not, I'm not cutting you off. I, this, is, this is why we're here. We have people that want, to, we want you to elaborate. Tell us, in your opinion, why so many veterans are committing suicide every, every day. It's really, it's really quite simple. From the time that they're enlist, the first order of business is to teach them in most MOSs to be a trained killer, to teach them that the man in front of you that's coming at you has to die. You have to kill them. They put them in these situations that are completely different than any war we've ever fought. They put them into these, you know, they take a platoon and they put it into Kandahar or, or they put it in somewhere in Iraq or Afghanistan. And these kids are on alert 24 hours a day, seven days a week, looking for bullets coming at them. They're out there. They see their buddies blown up, legs blown up, arms blown up, killed, exploded, IEDs, shot at every day, children walking up with bombs wired to them. They see this every day on deployment for one, two, three, four tours. It's too much. They get out. But guess what? PTSD is nothing more than a loop play in your head. Of traumatic experiences One traumatic experience can cause PTSD I know my right. wife is diagnosed right. After being hit by a drunk driver These people are put in situations Hundreds sure. of times to create PTSD Hundreds of episodes On real tapes That play over and over again in their head When a car backfires They duck and cover When they hear a bang, a door slams They duck and cover after a while, it gets too much. They go to the Veterans Administration, and they say, great, we've got an appointment with Dr. Galakowicz. Uh, let's see. This is March. Or this is February 15th, 16th. We can get you in on July 28th. Be there. Right. Meanwhile, by June 1st, well, well, can, you, can you explain? Yeah, can you explain to people – um, because again, let's 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 continue this line of thinking. Explain to people why what you're talking about the tours of duty three, four, and five. Where in Vietnam it was one tour, you were done. It, explain what you have learned that how detrimental multiple repetitive tours of duty are, and why we only had one tour of duty in Korea and Vietnam. Can you explain that? Well, I think that, you know, in Korea and Vietnam, they, they called it shell shock. They didn't have the PTSD terminology, nor did they have the medical training or awareness in order to deal with these situations. And what happens is there's so many people in and out of the military every day, every month, every year, do their four years, get out, do their four years to get out. The guy that's in a battlefield situation, that his training might be infantry, his training might be field operations, he might be a sergeant for a platoon. These guys are the guys that are spending 15 and 20 years in. And and what the government knows is that they can go into the situation, react, and survive. So instead of sending a new group of people who have never been there, 
they'll redeploy the same group of people who have been effective in doing what we wanted them to do within their MLS over and over and over again. I know of veterans that was deployed seven different times between Iraq and Afghanistan, seven different times. He has never lived in the United States of America since he got out after being blown up in a Humvee, four people, the only survivor of that Humvee explosion. He refuses. He gets his disability pay and everything, whatever it is, two dollars $3,000 a month. He refuses. He's an expat. He refuses to live under the tyranny and the destruction and the total disregard of the U.S. government on American soil. He comes and visits, and he's gone. He comes and visits for a month, and he's gone. He refuses to stay here. He refuses to pay one tax dollar to this country, and it's because this country put him in a situation over and over and over again until finally he was a victim of an explosion that took three of his buddies' lives right in front of him, barely survived himself, and then they say, okay, we're going to medically retire you, um, and this was a case where they wanted to get him an appointment with the VA doctor, but the VA is so booked that it was going to take seven months to see a doctor. And he just packed up and he just left. He's lived in the Philippines. He's lived in Costa Rica. He's lived in Venezuela. He will never reside on U.S. soil again because the government has used every bit of fight power out of that man. And when they were done with him, they said, here's a couple grand a month. Have a nice life. There's just a total disregard for well, let, let, let me let me right. Let me let me let me let me get this if I'm let me get this clear, and if I'm not, jump in after I'm done. So what you're telling me and our and our and our listeners is this: in Vietnam, they they the government realized that more than one tour was psychologically detrimental. To a combat to a combat soldier, so in Vietnam and in Korea, you did one year and you went out. The problem is, is that a newbie soldier wasn't as effective in combat as a veteran that has been there one, two, three years. So we decided to have a volunteer army, but no restrictions on how many times we can deploy these men and women. Let their brains get scrambled. They're extremely effective in combat. Unlike a newbie, the problem is, is that when they get out there, correct me if I'm wrong, 29 times more likely to commit suicide than a person getting out if it was one year tour in Vietnam. Is, is this what we are to, to believe is happening in the United States? Well, that is correct. And the other issue is once a man has been deployed two or three times, he will actually volunteer for deployment. He's learned how to survive in combat situations, but he has not learned how to survive in a social environment, a.k.a. back in the States, living a normal life with his family. He's so torn up. He's got so much PTSD. Sure. The only place that he's comfortable is in a combat situation. So he's going to volunteer to be redeployed over and over and over again because nine months over there is better than three months back here any day of the week. And that's the problem, that if you volunteer, you will get deployed. And some guys want to stay deployed permanently because they cannot function in normal society anymore. And a lot of them are just plain afraid of what they're going to do. we got a minute to wrap it up, John. Uh, you know, 60 seconds of live radio live. Okay. Okay, everyone – to our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us in our inaugural, inaugural broadcast of the Truth Busters. Uh, my thanks to uh, Will Jones, the intern, Nick London, the greatest producer in the Internet podcast uh, uh, universe, to my co-host and fearless leader, Cuball Carmichael. I am John Stewart. Join us next Sunday for another engaging uh, fact-finding edition of the Truth Busters. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great evening. I'm John Stewart. Hope, Thank you very much for joining us. I hope everybody enjoyed the commercial free hour of radio that we just did. Catch us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Pandora, any of your basic formats for podcasts. 
You can listen to us. Here's watching the Triple T Radio. Hmm.